Welcome once again to Leto's Law. Here's Steve Leto. I had a lot of people send me this story, and I was familiar with the story from before. But this is kind of like an exclamation point at the end. Judges who sent kids to detention centers for financial kickbacks ordered to pay over $200 million. Now, they probably won't see any of that money, but um, it's still a good way to end this, I think. Former judges Mark Ciavarella and Michael T. Conahan are now serving lengthy prison sentences for what became known as the Kids for Cash scandal. I saw it on American Greed, which is a series on television hosted by Stacey Keach, where he talks about different people who've run scams. And this is one of the most shocking and disgusting scams of all time. The story here is from Reason.com. Emma Camp wrote it. For about seven years, two judges in Pennsylvania sent hundreds of children to privately run juvenile detention centers in exchange for financial kickbacks. Some of these kids were as young as eight years old. On Tuesday, another judge ordered the former judges to pay over $200 million in compensatory and punitive damages to those victims. Now, you might say, but Steve, if these people are being sentenced and and they did what they're accused of, of doing, what's the crime here? Well, the problem is that there's a financial incentive for these judges to lock these kids up. So if it came down to, well, we could let the kid go or we could lock him up. Oh, I get paid to lock him up. I don't get paid to let him go. I'll lock him up. So there's an incentive to lock kids up who shouldn't have been locked up. And it it's, it's as bad as you can imagine. Starting in 2000, the two judges sent children into juvenile detention for offenses as innocuous as jaywalking. You were... Convicted of jaywalking. We're going to lock you up. Petty theft or truancy. Truancy. In what became known as the Kids for Cash scandal, the children were sent to two privately run detention centers whose builder and co-owner paid the men $2.8 million, according to the Associated Press, over the course of the scheme. According to testimony from plaintiffs during the class action lawsuit, many of the sentences that the children received were staggering. A 16-year-old kid was sentenced to 11 months for driving the wrong way down a one-way street without a license. Another girl, then 10 years old, was sent to detention for a schoolyard fight with no serious injuries. One child was sent to detention for stealing a Hershey bar, another for writing on a school window with a marker. Now, again, to detention doesn't mean detention like in school, where you get detention, you go sit in a room. We're talking about they were sent to a detention center, which is like a jail for kids. Several plaintiffs testified their sentences were based on entirely arbitrary means, such as the number of birds in a tree outside the courtroom or the number of buttons on a girl's blouse. One plaintiff was sentenced to an additional eight months in detention after one judge asked him to pick a sports team, and the judge said you picked the wrong one. The uh, county court system failed us, said one unnamed plaintiff. They, referring to the two judges, abused their power, and in my opinion, should never see a daylight again. The scars of the scandal will continue to live with all of us. As a survivor, I can assure you, the impact of this man's greed will never be over or forgotten. According to CBS News, following the discovery of this plot, 
the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has now thrown out 4,000 juvenile convictions between 03 and 08. Imagine that you were a judge and you sentenced several thousand people and the Supreme Court of your state came in and had to overturn and throw them all out. Thousands of them. Um, That would show just such gross incompetence at the very least. And of course, what these guys are doing is evil. Uh, Many of the plaintiffs still suffer from mental health problems. Several children sent to detention by these two have died by suicide or drug overdose in the years after they went through this system. Children and adolescents suffered unspeakable physical and emotional trauma at the hands of two judicial officers who swore by solemn oath to uphold the law. Uh, The judge wrote in a memorandum on the ruling, the two abandoned their oath and breached the public trust. Their cruel and despicable actions victimized a vulnerable population of young people, many of whom were suffering from emotional issues and mental health concerns. Unfortunately, it is unlikely that any of the plaintiffs will receive any money uh, because, according to the Associated Press, the two are now serving lengthy prison sentences. However, however, one of them was sentenced to 28 years in prison. The other was sentenced to 17, but he was released to home confinement in 2020 because of COVID-related concerns. So he is serving out a sentence in home confinement. Now, I know that in the American Greed documentary, they showed some of the things that the judges bought with the money, and I seem to recall a condominium in Florida. Now, you might say, Steve, if these guys got a ton of money for this, well, it was in the millions of dollars that they got, but the judgment is for $200 million. So even if you were to take every single you know, thing these guys owned and liquidated it, it would still be you know, a penny on the dollar for the kids and the victims. Um, the ruling is considered a huge victory for the victims, says the lawyer for the victims, uh, Marsha Levick. Uh, she told the Associated Press the ruling recognizes the gravity of what the judges did to these children in the midst of some of the most critical years of their childhood and development. And uh, the plaintiffs in this case are the tragic human casualties of a scandal of epic proportions. The law is powerless to restore the plaintiffs the weeks, months, and years lost because of the actions of the defendants. And that's the judge writing in the one of the opinions. We hope that by listening to their experiences and acknowledging the depth of the damage done to their lives, we can provide them with a measure of closure and ensure that their stories are never forgotten. And, you know... When you hear the stories about the judge saying to a kid, you know, pick a football team, and he picks the wrong team up, you get more time in jail for that. Or the kid who's driving the car down the street in the wrong direction. If that had been an adult with a driver's license, okay, if it had been an adult without a driver's license, you know, you wouldn't get jail for that, okay? And so the idea that kids are getting jailed for this kind of stuff is crazy. And so I'm kind of surprised that it took as long as it did for them to get caught. Because apparently they were doing this for several years, several years. And so I can tell you that there are different communities of people in the legal system. So there's a community at the courthouse itself, okay? There's the judges, the judges' staffs. There's the staff that runs the courthouse, the court administrator and their staff, all the court clerks, the bailiffs. And so there's a, there's a community at the courthouse. Now, 
I'm not sure if there's more than two judges in this building. If these are the only two judges in this building, people working there wouldn't have much to compare it against. In other words, if there had been four judges and two were doing the crazy stuff and two were not, you go, oh, what's with these guys and all the crazy stuff? But the one thing I do question is that attorneys who practice in several different courthouses or jurisdictions would spot something wildly out of line here. And so I can tell you that in my 31 years of practice, I've been in half of the circuit courts in Michigan. About half, I would guess. And district courts in southeastern Michigan, taking like a three or four county area, I've been in three quarters of them. And so if I go into a courtroom and something happens that seems out of the ordinary, I don't just compare it to what's happened in that building to me before. I I think in my mind what's happened in the other courthouses. And attorneys spot that stuff. And I'm wondering at what point the warning signs started getting called out because I suspect that there were attorneys representing some of these kids going, wait, you're going to lock my kid up, my client up, for something as minimal as this? That's crazy. When you compare it with what would happen in any other courthouse. Now, I can tell you also there are some judges who are famous for doing certain things that seem harsh. Uh, I've known at least two judges who will take a first offense drunk driver and throw them in jail. First offense. They don't care. Don't care at all. But everyone knows that, and there's nothing wrong with that because the law specifically says that's a possibility. The judge wants to, after exercising discretion and reviewing the case, one of the possibilities is jail time. And so there are some judges who just say, I give every single person who's a first offender, I don't care, they go to jail for some time. I don't care. They do. And so everyone knows about that, but, but again, there's nothing illegal about it. The question is, at what time after 2003 did people start noticing this? That's what I'm most curious about. Now, I always get asked by people, say, Steve, you know, you're talking about kids, juvenile cases. Have you ever handled a juvenile case? Yes, I have. I'm glad you asked me that because otherwise somebody would have said, what do you know about this? You've never handled such a case. I have. I have. And I'm going to tell you a case story that I think is illustrative. It illustrates the point I'm trying to make here. And this was not my client, by the way. It was something I observed in a juvenile court. I was in a juvenile court in Wayne County, which is the same county that Detroit, Michigan is in. That's down there for my client. And so my client and I go into a courtroom and they call a case and a teenage kid stands up, starts walking towards the front of the courtroom and he turns around and he bolts out the back door and just starts running down the hallway. And the hearing officer looks at one of the bailiffs and kind of like motions. And the bailiffs go chasing after the kid. And they grab the kid and they bring him back. Now, I don't know the entire story about what was going on there. And I also, I'll be honest, don't remember what he was accused of and why he was there. But about 30 seconds later, they bring this kid back in. He didn't make it out of the building. He made about halfway down the hallway. They bring the kid back in, and the hearing officer looks at the kid and goes, what was that all about? 
kid breaks down crying because I know I'm going to get in trouble. And the hearing officer goes, okay, that's, yeah, that's why you're here. What do you think that's going to do for you, running away? What's, what's that going to do for you? Kid's just crying and, and, and doesn't give any like great verbal responses, but he, he is responding, but the kid's breaking down. And I'm guessing he was 13, 14 years old. And uh, hearing officer goes, would that help your case or would that hurt your case? And the kid goes, well, probably hurt my case. So the hearing officer goes, okay, so we're not going to do that again, are we? The kid goes, no. Hearing officer goes, okay. I want to make sure we're on the same page here. He goes, I'm not going to hold that against you. But let's talk about why you're here now. And so they went through the whole rigmarole of why they were there. And the judge, the hearing officer, because I think technically it's a hearing officer, not a judge. Hearing officer then dealt with the kid's situation and made his ruling. And the kid left. And I think he was with his mother. But the point is, when he bolts out of the courtroom and his mom is sitting right there, um, the judge said to the kid, in essence, what you just did there was very, very stupid. I saw it. Everyone else saw it. It's not going to help you any. We're here to try to take care of and deal with what you did before as to why you're here. But the hearing officer is also basically saying, and I don't want to see you dig that hole any deeper. And after talking to the kid for a little while, you could tell that they had actually connected. And so when the hearing officer explained him what was going to happen and why, the kid's like, oh, okay. And, you know, there were some ramifications for what the kid had done that got him into that situation in the first place. But the kid didn't get locked up. The kid didn't, you know, the, the hearing officer didn't hammer him for bolting like that. And for the people in my audience who think the story might sound familiar, I've told another story about an adult bolting out of a courtroom, but that's another story. This was a teenager who was in a juvenile court setting, and he bolted out of the room when he got called, his case got called. And the judge, the hearing officer, did not hold it against him recognizing that he's just a scared kid. And so they then dealt with what they needed to deal with. They had a little talk man-to-man, and that was it. So when I see a story like that unfold, and I remember at the time, because I don't handle a lot of those cases. I didn't handle a lot of those cases. Um, But I'd handled a few. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself that this is so different from adult court. Because kids are different from adults. Now, I understand that a kid can commit a crime, be tried as an adult. I understand that. But I'm talking about the kinds of things that get kids into court in a juvenile setting quite often could be, hopefully, a one-off. Meaning that they do one stupid thing, they get caught, they learn a lesson, and they never do it again. That's what you're hoping. That's what you're hoping. So if you're an optimistic person, like the hearing officer was, You look at the kid and you go, okay, kid's scared. I understand that. Let's work with him and see if we can't get him into a better place. And so that hearing officer is clearly treating that process of being in that courtroom as not just let's punish kids for doing what they've done. You know, let's try to get to the root of the problem. 
Yeah, if a punishment's appropriate, we'll make it an appropriate punishment. But getting back to these guys, they were locking kids up for things like truancy or vandalism or driving the wrong way down a one-way street with no driver's license. And adults do those things all the time without getting locked up. So this was a crazy situation. These two judges are among the worst people in the Western Hemisphere. And, and I don't think that's an overstatement. But that's just my opinion. So the judges sent the kids to detention centers for financial kickbacks. They've been ordered to pay over $200 million. Uh, the victims will probably never see the money, which is sad. But uh, the good news is that one of the guys is still locked up and the other one is on home house arrest. So hopefully we'll never hear from these two again unless they manage to squeeze some money out of them, which would be worthwhile. So Reason.com ran the story. Emma Camp wrote it. A lot of people sent it. Thanks a lot. And if you've got questions or comments about the story itself, besides looking up kids for cash, you can go on, if you've got cable, and do a search for American Greed, and you can find the episode about this, which is very good, I think. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Leto's Law. Spend some time alone. There's so much you don't know about yourself.